Good afternoon. I'm Al Cresta. My guest, uh, Derek Taylor, is an adult convert to the Catholic faith. Not raised in a religious home, but was a student of history, is a student of history, and was intrigued by Martin Luther's quest to find the certainty of his own salvation. And it was this study of Luther's quest that eventually led Derek to consider the Catholic Church. Uh, Derek, good to have you with me. Thanks. Thank you for having me on, Al. I appreciate it. Let's uh, let's go back to the home you were raised in. It wasn't a religious home. Was there any even nominal faith there? Oh, sure. My my parents, you know, the, the, you know, we stopped going to church when I was like eleven or twelve. Um, <laughs> it conflicted with the NFL schedule. My dad wanted to watch games. <laughs> we wanted to stay and watch games. That was the, my parents were not like they would not be irreligious or anti-religious, but they weren't really. If you press them, they probably call themselves, call themselves Christians. More, I lost whatever faith I had probably by the end of high school, mm-hmm. certainly with the, by early, you know, up through college. And uh, it was in graduate school, actually. Um, really? I uh, got baptized. So um, so it wasn't really, I mean, the upbringing wasn't, wasn't the problem with my parents or anything. It was more me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, kind of an adolescent atheism, uh, more more or less. and. Uh, but it wasn't something, you know, it wasn't something it practiced in any, any that way. My dad's a very moral person and everything, but yeah, but yeah that was the background. It, so you retained that kind of atheism uh, until you, into graduate school. What did you think? I'm sure you'd met many Christians, you know, of mm-hmm. that you respected. Uh, what did you make sure. of the fact that they believed things that you found implausible? Um... I didn't think about it much at all. Okay. Um, I liked them. I, I didn't, you just did, you know, boy, I, you know, this is something about when I say atheism, I'm almost hesitant to use that term because it wasn't like I reasoned myself into it. Yeah. It was a, it was a matter of, long story, I've, been, I've gone through problem with depression in my life. Mm-hmm. So this is related to this. Um, I felt miserable. I felt hopeless. Therefore, there is no God. Is about as much thought as I, I, mean, I don't mean to integrate myself too much because I did actually, after a while, okay, this is, I don't believe there's any purpose to the universe. I have to go believe this. I did try and be serious about it, but uh, it wasn't a real well thought out thing. I thought it was. I, I like those people. I I remember thinking, you know, this would be nice if this were true. Yeah. But I just knew it wasn't. Yeah, that and that creates the problem of whether you're attracted to a lie because it makes you feel better. Um, yeah, and that was that was one thing I'll give myself. It made me feel worse. <laughs> <laughs> right. It made it well. I thought I thought that was an adult thing. Like, okay, you have to suck it up. You have to, you have to accept this. You know, whatever this is, and that, that probably is, is you know pushed me toward like Christianity because you'd have to accept suffering there too. Yeah, yeah. and so that was uh, yeah. That's why I did that. I, I that's what if I had any criticism of Christians before that, I thought, well, this is. This is just, you know, I guess what would it, you know, marks the opiate of the people. Like it was just there to soothe wounds or something. Yeah. But not true. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 a com- it's, a com- it's a comfortable way. It ke- you don't have to ask hard questions about purposelessness mm-hmm. or, or evil. Um, mm-hmm. But when did you tap into Luther as somebody, you know, a personality that you found curious? Oh, from the beginning, I'd never heard, I mean, really heard of Luther until I, I got into, well, probably undergraduate first. I first heard about, I first, you know, I don't think I knew much about the Reformation before I took classes as an undergrad. And then in graduate school, you get to do this stuff more deeply. That was early modern uh, Britain was my area of study. And okay. So you have to know about that yep. uh, to study early modern England. And um, 
I mean, I say fascinated, I detested him, actually, because he could be kind of a miserable person. Right. But I, I knew from the beginning, I'm like, even as someone who did not, you know, I, I, I didn't have a, a dog in the fight. Like, I think this is, I didn't say he was making it up, but like, he's, he's giving these reasons I don't think they make any sense. And there are probably other things going on there. And I thought that, I thought the church basically, I thought it was a tragic thing. Even when I wasn't Christian, the Reformation, like mm-hmm. it destroyed this medieval order, destroyed this, you know, sacred canopy that mm-hmm. society had had. Right. And right. Um, it's hard hard to see what Luther did in any in any sense. Uh, well, not in any sense, but as at least overall destructive. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he doesn't seem to have even accomplished what he had hoped originally. So, uh, no, I don't think so. Right. Um. So you you begin though to think that um, his own quest for salvation has something to teach you? Yeah, well, the thing I, you know, one of the things about him, I never, when I became Catholic, I never had any never had any doubts that Protestantism was wrong. I almost feel bad saying it, because you go to graduate school, you're, you learn that the world's a complicated place, these things are complex, so you always get this almost guilt when you find something to be really simple. <laughs> and it always seemed really simple. He was wrong. And again, I grew up in a Protestant area, and so I had lots of friends, you know, two people who were very, to this day, very wonderful people. I'm like, I wanted to have an answer for them as to why. And so I'm like, okay, is this, did I, did I make a hasty cheat? So I, I've read a lot of it for years, and that's what kind of what my article in Crisis Magazine was about, was like, I basically come to the end of all that. I've, I've kind of, I wanted to, I wanted to understand Luther because I really didn't like him. I mean, I really, you know, when you're, as a convert, you get, I think you get, you're kind of on fire. You get angry about things. Yeah. Oh, Luther. And I didn't want to go through life like that. And, um, well, no, I'm like, you know, I, I taught Western civ courses, right? I had to teach Luther to, you know, at a secular state university. I, I couldn't go in there and start raving about Luther. I didn't feel, you know, professional. And so I had to find things to defend in Luther. And one of the things that I found as you go on, like the men was then had some emotional problems mm-hmm. and stuff that I, I can identify with. I had depression. I, he almost certainly had depression. Mm-hmm. And I know the yearning for certainty, and you can't find it. And so it, it, it humanized him for me, made him seem, because he just seems like, kind of like a monster. Like a lot of Protestant Catholic polemic, you know, everybody's a monster who's, you know, Catholic woman, he becomes a monster, and he could act like a monster, by the way. Right. That part's fairly true at times, but there are other times where, okay, this is. This is what he was aiming at. It's not some sort of, you know, he's just wanting to destroy everything, which it kind of looks like when you, when you first approach, like his, especially his polemical works. They're very, like, their language is really violent. And yeah. You tell, don't come from a good place. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean, he's got scatological humor. Uh, you know, he's oh, just, yeah. he's, he's a difficult, uh, of course, you know, you can in some way defend him because he's living at a, sure. an earlier time where the virtue of civility wasn't uh, always practiced. Sure. Even Thomas More uh, could write some. Yeah. Pre- <laughs> <laughs> he did write some very risky. And that's true. People, when they, you know, they were arguing about salvation, right? The absolute most important thing in the universe. They didn't hold any, pull any punches back then. So, oh, I certainly, yeah. I mean, you can say he had a way with words, definitely. So, so his his upbringing uh, as a in a uh, mining family uh, where assertiveness was prized, uh, his career as a a theological leader and then a a leader of a a movement against the established authorities. 
Uh, did you come to appreciate that or admire it, or did you have to, as a Catholic, have to fight against it? Well, I mean, I don't admire it. <laughs> I want to understand it. I want to understand why he was. I mean, he would say things that just sound, you know, Luther. And again, he says different things to different to different audiences to different at different times. But you know, he's a voluntarist in his attitude toward God. It means God's primarily defined by His will. Mm-hmm. So he'll say things like, you know, God can will whatever He wants. He can He can basically do again things that are really extreme. And that's where you get him saying things in. Um, in some of his works that, you know, yes, God is so active. He call, he actively causes people to sin. He has to be the active cause of everything. And so I want to know where that extremity came from. And when you, you learn a more of his personal life, he did have difficulties with his father, but his background in terms of, you know, um, in a world, I, I did not know this, Lyndall Roper, one of his biographers, was really good on this, that it's a very... It's a place where you have to fight to, you know, get your to get yourself heard and fight for your for respect. And I think that influenced him as well. But no, it was not a matter of like, oh, I'm, I now feel moved by his his theological positions. I've never had any like that. And what he did, I, I can't excuse. It's more, I don't want to. You don't want to pursue truth to the point of losing charity. Yeah, not just yeah. losing charity, but being a miserable person. That's right. Right. <laughs> and and, uh, and something there where, like, and again, before you know, before he takes the plunge, like I didn't, you know, you read through his work, like up until the time he makes the break, he's more or less an Orthodox Catholic theologian, yeah. and there are things that go on there, and there's things, of course, there are problems with the hierarchy, and obviously at that time period too. So there are circumstances where, you're, okay, so I don't have to. You know, I don't have to see him as a devil with horns, and so, and that was the really the purpose of my reading that I did for years and years on end, and yeah, I came to that through those those types of books. Um, his approach to free will uh, is disconcerting, and he had that mm-hmm. debate with Erasmus. How did that strike you? Yeah, and that's that's the thing. In there is like the the actual positions. Like, of course, you side with Erasmus. That was probably my favorite work of Luther's is his bond of the will, because that's where I think it kind of it kind of clicked for me what he was getting at. And you know, when you're suffering and you can't do anything about it, it's a it's a real comforting thing to think that God's going to swoop down without you doing anything at all and save you. Yeah. And um, and that's I think people don't I didn't appreciate it about Luther right when you're searching for certainty, it's like your own salvation. Right? You're terrified, all those other sorts of things. I mean, it seems obvious when you stand back and you're calmly reasoning about this stuff that, yeah, why would you want to deny free will? Yeah. But psychologically speaking, it can solve certain problems for you. You know, if you if you if you're no longer responsible for your 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 own salvation, if you're a certain type of person, that can be psychologically liberating. That's why you have all these Calvinists across you know the 16th and 17th centuries becoming you know radicalized because now, you know, they can they can go tell kings and emperors and popes to go you know. To, to go, you know, kiss off because I, you know, God has chosen me and not you, and there's nothing you can do about it. It can be actually, from that perspective, and it's a warped one, yeah. Yeah. A, a, an empowering thing. Yeah. And I, I wanted to understand those sorts of things. And yeah, I, I everybody, in my whenever I taught that in class, all the students hated the listeners part. It. They had no part of it. But I actually, in some ways, in some ways, admired it because he. You mentioned I mentioned pursuing truth, and one of the things about Erasmus I don't like is he's kind of a wishy-washy guy, and you know, mm-hmm. uh, again, Luther with his idea that assertiveness is the mark of a Christian. Right. They can, you know, I don't believe that, but 
uh, he did say that he thought that, you know, the truth about these things is important, more important than, because Erasmus is not really worried about peace. And he said, well, truth is more important than peace. Yeah, yeah. I have some sympathy with that to a certain degree. And so I learned to respect, okay, there is something. He's not just <laughs> a, a mindless, crazy person. <laughs> hey, you know, uh Luther again is a is, is uncomfortable uh, in this world. I mean, he he's mm. you know he's a yep. he's a fighter, and he never reaches, as you write, comfortable certainty. Um, yeah. So hold, hold it there, if you would, uh, Derek. We'll come back and continue the conversation. My guest, Derek Taylor, uh, has a, a a really fun piece written uh, for Crisis Magazine called "Farewell to Luther." Uh, Luther's theological positions were disastrously wrong, but his anguished search for certainty humanized him for him. Good afternoon, I'm Al Cresta. With me, Derek Taylor, is talking about uh, uh, the article that he penned for Crisis Magazine called Farewell to Luther, where he talks about Luther's theological positions, though wrong, um, were worth pursuing for him because of Luther's anguished search for certainty. And this uh, humanizes the magisterial reformer for him. Uh, he actually, bec- Luther becomes, though, someone who contributes th- some uh, novel things to theological history. Uh, this idea of absolute certainty about one state of grace is new, isn't it, in the history of the Church? Yeah, yeah nobody had ever thought you could do that. I mean, that's one of the things uh, I mentioned in the, the piece and uh, the historians. And notice that nobody, no theologian had done that. And I think it was Richard Rex, perhaps. Someone may have done it eventually, but uh, he was the first person to do that. And I think it would have, it took someone like him, who was just so desperate for it, to do that, to sort of, you know, it's weird. He almost sort of read, he read his need back into the scripture, the tradition that, oh yeah, God has promised us this, and therefore He's got to give it to us. Yeah, yeah. and um, just it's not there. Uh, you know, but um, that's that seems to be what happened uh, in his case, and just sort of, you know, uh, he's a kind of person, you know, fiery, but also someone who's you know, imaginative. He wrote hymns and everything, so I can easily see how he might you know, gin himself up to reading that back into yeah. uh, what just never been there before. Well, when he, I, I guess in your study of him and others, is his faith in Christ or is it in the certitude that he has? Well, that was uh, that was Paul Hacker's idea, and I think it is in the certitude that he has. I think that's the thing is that he, in order for it to be real, he has to have this personal certainty that this grace is for me, individually, mm-hmm. personally. He, um, Paul Hacker's book is really great. He was a friend of Joseph Ratzinger's and uh, was a convert from Lutheranism. And, and his book, the first chapter, he goes through Luther's commentary on the Creed, on the Apostles' Creed. And he says his commentary on the Creed has, in German, uh, there are 11 personal pronouns in it. I, I, me, me. Translated into English, it's 27 personal pronouns. <laughs> like there's this real emphasis on, you know, I have to be sort of psychologically aware of it for it yeah. to be, you know, operative. And and that was the sort of, that was the thing I think he demanded. Again, he, he's demanding, 
you know, he's demanding like the end of his suffering from the church, like please, you know, end this, end this suffering I have, and the church doesn't. Have, it's just all the amazing things that God gave the authority of the Catholic Church. He didn't give them the magical power to make every, heal everybody like that. Yeah, uh, and I think he, when they couldn't give that to him, that's when I think he kind of turned uh, on it. Is does he retain hostility to the church? I mean, how he must have had kind of a bittersweet. I mean, he was raised Catholic. He was a Catholic mm-hmm. monk. It, it, mm-hmm. How how did he reconcile the affection that he had uh, for mm-hmm. the Church for a portion of his life, anyways? Well, that's the thing. He's he's a guy. He's not. He's he he's comfortable with paradoxes and contradictions. I don't think he him like this. This all came from God, so I don't have to worry about contradictions anymore yeah. in his own mind. And he talks about being angry and liking it in his. In, in, um, I quote that I think maybe in the in the in the work. But uh, for someone again who suffered from depression, that's a way, by the way, to get out of it. Um, you know, this is the era before you know antidepressants, you gin up anger. But uh, he also retained a lot, obviously theologically. He retained a veneration for Mary. His theology yeah, right. of the Eucharist is, is closer to the Catholic position yep. than anything else. Yep. Um, you know, both, you know, again, he didn't, <laughs> he's weird that way. He'd say he's probably the most conservative uh, of revolutionaries, um, definitely compared to his uh, successors, who, you know, took things a lot farther, obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't, you know, that's, that's kind of him in a nutshell, like he... You know, well, I guess once he was satisfied with what he <laughs> what he had done, he didn't he didn't feel as bitter anymore. Although I can't say that he again throughout his life had problems with anger. So did he did he uh, did he did he like his renown? His fa- I think he did. Yeah, I think uh, to me, and again, this is something I'm extrapolating from things I've read, but I think he was surprised. I know he was surprised actually when his like for example his 95 theses. Which again, there's some debate about this, but from my understanding, he never really intended it to be published. Yeah, and yeah. when it became published, he became a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> I think that probably gave him the confidence that yeah, I really am right, and these people in the church really are wrong. Yeah, and um, it took a while. It took a while. It took a couple of years, really. Um, 15, 15, 19 uh, debates with Johannes Eck, who was his uh, Catholic interlocutor. Who seemed to get seemed to get the better of him a little bit and draw him out and make him force him to the logical endpoint of what he was saying and and so um, and so, but yeah I think he and I think once he saw he was the head of a movement I think that definitely buoyed him yeah, like, yeah. again he strikes me as someone who's not again he is, he's assertive but I think it's an assertiveness in reply to deep self doubt mm. and so when you get that external confirmation that tends to that tends to make it kind of a heady thing for a person. You know, it's it seems to me that uh, modern education is losing its ability to go back to these really uh, watershed moments in intellectual history and uh, find some uh, empathy with the various characters here. Um, I just I'm curious with your students do they mm-hmm. do they get the drama that's going on between Luther and Erasmus, or you know, Luther and the uh, Catholic Church is yeah. That's in, in that class in particular. The all the first part of Western Ziv I used to teach. It was always hard because ancient texts are still a lot more distant from people, and I I did try to make it clear like the stakes of this are humongous for the time because they're arguing about like 
you know, if one person's wrong, like all these other people are now damned. Yeah. And that's, you know, you can't get bigger stakes than that. But it's also, you know, debates like that feed into our modern debates about freedom of will with regard to things like, you know, neurology, uh, neuroscience and stuff right. like that. So they're, they're kind of the same. Those are huge questions. So, I mean, it, it's hard. I mean, it's hard. Like, in a, like a, you know, you do this stuff for like a week or something in the class. It, it's tough. But I, I think you can kind of get something of that to them. But it's difficult. It's hard to reconstruct, like, you know, the revolutionary thing this was. Yeah. And yeah. Um, why they, like you said, like why they, you know, don't bother with civility <laughs> when everything is at stake. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you, did you, what did you think or did you think about the uh, the way the Catholic Church and the Lutheran, uh, I think the World Federation, uh, came to grips with the justification by faith. Uh, did, in your estimation, that do justice to Luther? Oh, the Joint Declaration, you mean? Yeah. What was it, 1999? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I don't know. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't think... The same thing about Lutheranism is that, like, I think Lutheranism is actually different than Luther. <laughs> yeah. There are probably yeah. some Lutheran theologians that might have, maybe in the 16th century, I don't know enough about it, that might have. I don't think Luther would have, Luther would have hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I can okay. tell you that. Okay. I don't think he, I, don't, I, I think he would have, look, you, you're not giving me, I, I don't think it does justice to him. He really did reject it. He really did believe these things. Different with his followers, very different um, for a lot of them. Um, he, he was kind of a, um, you know, he was the sort of, I think I've said, I don't know if I said this in the, the essay, but like one of the things about Luther is, in a lot of ways, he was more important for his example than for his ideas. He wasn't really a great systematic thinker. That's Calvin who played mm-hmm. that role for, for the right. Reformation. Yeah. But he gave the example that you, I guess in a way, psychologically, that you could break away from the Church. And that was almost the most important thing. I think people took his thought in different directions. Not totally. They did take you know the basis of it, the whatever, the four solos, the five solos, and mm-hmm. things of that nature. But... I mean, beyond that, I don't know, but I, I, and I'm not a theologian, I have read the document, I'm not a theologian myself, my training is all in history, so, but I, I don't know, I mean, I think, I do think it soft-pedaled Luther, I'll put it that way, can't speak for the rest of the Lutheran tradition, but I don't think he would have much use for it. Yeah, interesting, interesting. Um, So he never, I mean, you're not aware that he ever, once having had this certainty, uh, he never once again considered that uh, he could have gone wrong? Not to my knowledge. I know that, for example, you know, uh, Philip Melanchthon, who was his follower, was a lot more irenic. Um, you know, they made, they made attempts to, you know, have meetings with Catholic theologians, try to uh, heal the bridge. He would have nothing to do with it. Okay. Um, it, was, it was already dead and buried. And I, I personally, this is my opinion, I don't think he could have. Like, to admit he was wrong, that would that literally destroys him. Because at that point, that's his certainty. The idea that the church was, that the medieval church was wrong is proof that he that he's saved. And I don't think he can go back on that. Um, there's, there's been a lot of psychologizing of Luther. Do you have much respect for it? You know, I, I've just done this in this phone call. I feel bad. I never liked it. I never liked... Someone who can't respond to these things um, doing that. And there's a famous book called Young Man Luther by Eric Erickson, who was a, a psychologist. And I heard it wasn't terrible, but it wasn't, you know, better than much. Because there's been some, you know, my my old mentor at the University of Florida told me they, you know, he kind of liked that book. But they, the university subscribed to a, a journal called Psychohistory, yeah. and it was 
such trash they had to cancel it after a year because <laughs> it's just it's, you can really do a lot of stupid things with right. historical figures, right? And not even just Luther, but I think and, and you have to be careful about it. This is why I did admire Lyndall Roper and her biography. She handled it very delicately. I thought they did a good job. Um, you can take in some really bad. I think maybe some of the stuff in the '60s too with Freudianism is probably one of the, where some of the stuff goes off the rails, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, any any Catholic should be careful about doing that. You kind of hear that. Uh, again, he's just this, you know, the crazy person, or he's just right. again. You could some things kind of sound like that, but there's more going on there. And yeah, I'm not I, I'm uncomfortable with it because I always I always thought my role was to stand up, not stand up, but like these people can't speak for themselves. I, as an historian, have to at least explain them. So yes. that people are like, uh. And so, yeah, be careful about that. I've said, I think it is part of his story, though. I think the psychological is really important. And, of course, we know in general, like, the psychological and the spiritual are very, very connected. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, and so, so you, so, but, uh, but you have to do it with care, not, not with, and with, again, charity. Um, charity equals clarity. Not totally equals it, but I don't think you can, I don't think you can just utterly despise someone and then understand them. Right. So, right. put it that way. Um, he was incredibly prolific. Uh, mm-hmm. Why? Why? Why did he write so much? You know, he was writing. You know, first of all, he was writing. I'll say this: this is one thing that I didn't know. Uh, you teach you teach his polemical writings in these classes. You know, the, the letter to the German nobility, the you know whatever the uh, Babylonian captivity, all that stuff. So he's writing polemics. He's writing for you know. In a way, his life at first, because he is condemned, he can yeah. be executed. And later on, he's the head of a movement. So there's a lot of, you know, he's just, this is just natural sort of warfare. And of course, he is a theologian, but he is also leading a new church. So he writes, you know, his uh, short catechism, the large catechism, all these things. For he is, he's still a teacher. He has to teach people. So he writes a lot of uh, works just for that, just for that reason. And so, um, but he, he spends a lot of, he does spend a lot of it, you know. He had a, a magnificent, you know, gift for vituperation, so he spends a lot of it in polemic with his, you know, his Catholic opponents. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I just, he is a, he's one of those pivotal figures mm-hmm. uh, in the history of the West, and I've always been fascinated uh, by him, by his energy, by his um, his fierceness, and so I, so I was glad to talk with you about it uh, and gather your appreciation of him. Even though we would agree his theology is bad. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but still a fascinating figure. Yeah. Well, Derek, thanks. Good talking with you. Thank you, Al. I appreciate it. Uh, Farewell to Luther, the name of the article. Derek Taylor, its author. It's available. We'll have it in the online, in the Krista Guest Archives for you. <laughs> 